that we've said about so far as we've been looking at this passage in Matthew 5 to 7, we've said that really this teaching is like Jesus' kingdom manifesto. It's like the most, it's, it's the longest section of teaching directly from Jesus um, in your New Testament. If you've got the words of Jesus in red in your Bible, um, it's like the longest section of red um, in your Gospels. Um, and, and really, Jesus teaches, he starts with those Beatitudes, if you remember, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Um, and he describes the kind of people that God has in his kingdom. And remember, kingdom, when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're not talking about a place that you go to when you die. We're talking about God ruling and reigning. We're talking about God having his way. And of course, God has his way in heaven but his desire, the Bible teaches us, is that he would, always ha- he would also have his way in the earth. That the earth would be transformed to become much more like heaven. Um, so um, that's what we mean when we talk about the kingdom of God. Where God is in charge. Where God is ruling and reigning. Where his love and his justice and his mercy and his grace is experienced and can be lived in. Um, now, Kofo um, did a great message with us a couple of weeks back. Uh, and introduces to this idea of loving like Jesus, this extraordinary way that Jesus calls us to love others. Um, If you remember in Matthew 5 and verse 20, Matthew 5 and verse 20, it said this, For I tell you, Jesus said, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, I think there's a slide for that. Um, with that text on, guys. There you go, Matthew five twenty. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and Jesus, in this whole passage of teaching, is really challenging the established religious leaders, the people who think they've got it all sussed and worked out and they're all right with God and probably looking down their noses a bit and judging other people around them. And he's really challenging them that they've not really understood what it's like to be in God's kingdom. But then he's saying um, in this passage in Matthew chapter 5 that we've looked at already, actually, I'm not saying that you don't have to be righteous. I'm not saying that you can forget about all this kind of right living and doing what God wants anymore. I'm saying that the Pharisees and the the religious people, they've missed the point. I'm I'm not saying forget about it. I'm saying, actually, I want you to be more righteous than the Pharisees were. But then he goes on to completely challenge and, uh, and revolutionize our understanding of what right, righteousness looks like, okay? So he talks about, in Matthew 22, much later on in the gospel, we read in Matthew 22, 37 to 40, that Jesus says the whole of the law can be summed up in the command to love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength, um, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And then in John 13, verse 34, um, we saw that actually Jesus said, a new command I give to you. Actually, I'm calling you to love one another with the same way that I have loved you. So not just loving people the way you love yourself, but loving with the love that Jesus has. Okay, so all of the law, all the stuff that the, the Pharisees and the religious people were all het up about and really into, all of that can be summarized as loving God and loving other people. Yeah? 
And Jesus says, your righteousness, your keeping of, all of God's rules and, and, and his heart, that has to be more than the Pharisees. But it can all be summed up as loving people. Does that make sense? So actually, it's when we talk about our righteousness needing to exceed that of the Pharisees, we're talking about the way we love God and love other people has to exceed that of the Pharisees. We're all together. So then we looked in Matthew 5, and we went through a number of practical examples that Jesus, is, that Jesus uses, murder, adultery, divorce, truth, retaliation, loving enemies, and all of these were ways in which he was turning on its head people's expectations of how we should love other people. It's a radical, revolutionary kind of love that we're called to pursue. And it kind of climaxed at the end of chapter 5 with loving your enemies. Not just loving the people that make you feel all gooey and slushy inside. Not just loving the person who just gave you 50 quid. Not just loving the people who do nice things for you in your life, but loving the people who are against you. Loving the people who are saying bad stuff about you. Loving the people who perhaps are part of a different people group to you, who have always, perhaps there's a long history of that people group oppressing your people group, and yet you're called to love them. Loving our enemies. Really challenging stuff from Jesus. So now we're going to move on to Matthew chapter 6. And we are going to go, having looked at this whole theme of our righteousness, the way that we love God and love others, having to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, Jesus now turns his attention to our motivation. So we're going to read together Matthew chapter 6 and verses 1 to 18. Matthew 6, 1 to 18. Um, you can either follow it in your own Bible or it should be on the screen as well. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting. 
but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Amen. Okay, so we'll work our way through this passage. The Lord's Prayer, we're going to come back to, because I don't know if you noticed, but it actually comes as a bit of an aside or an interjection in the flow of this passage. Because there are three different things that Jesus talks about, one after the other, that are all examples of how we shouldn't let our motivation to be seen by others. So he starts out in Matthew 6, verse 1, and he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Okay? We're not saying that Jesus is saying you must always be entirely sure that no one ever sees you praying. Because if they do, it's game over. You're finished. How could you let anyone see you? No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Notice he says, in front of others to be seen by them. He's talking about their motivation. He says, do not be like the hypocrites who do things to be seen by others. And he gives us three examples. And in each case, he says, don't do it like the hypocrites who do it like this. But instead, let it be between you and your father who is able to reward you. Okay? Now, before we get all holy and try and out-holy Jesus, okay, Jesus is perfectly all right with the concept of God rewarding people. Yeah? It actually is all the way through the Gospels that God rewards our faithfulness. That God rewards. I know sometimes as good evangelicals, we get all worked up about works And we say, oh, no, no, it's all about our faith and it's all grace. But actually, the Bible, you need to read the New Testament. It's absolutely full of God rewarding faithfulness, obedience, holiness. God loves to reward those things. We're saved by his grace. We're saved by our faith in Jesus and what he's done for us. And yet, once we say, once we come to him, Jesus, God, loves to reward our obedience and faithfulness. And Jesus is saying... These three different things, giving to the needy, prayer, and fasting. He says these three things, and and while he's talking about prayer, the Lord's Prayer almost comes as a kind of, oh, while I'm talking about prayer, let me tell you a bit more about prayer. But you see the same pattern with giving to the needy, prayer, and fasting. Three acts of devotion that Jesus actually affirms here. Do you notice in all three cases, Jesus says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. He doesn't say if, he says when. He assumes that these things will be going on, and he affirms those things, and he says, actually, devotion towards God is good. You see, God loves your devotion. God loves your acts of devotion towards him. God loves your worship. When you give to people in need, it is worship to God. When you give to other people around you who are in need, it is worship to God. Our giving, our offering is part of our worship to God. It's an act of devotion. Now, if you do that to be seen by others... God says, well, you've missed the point. You've missed the point of what it's all about. I remember a time many years ago, um, someone did something really nice um, for me and Judith. 
Um, and it just made our lives easy. It was really generous of them. I was really blessed. I knew it cost them a bit. Uh, I, honestly, I felt really great. It was really kind of them to do that. And then sometimes later, I found out a few different people came to me and said, oh, so-and-so did that for you, didn't they? Um, and I have to be honest, it just kind of took the shine off it slightly because it was still generous and I was still grateful, but it, was, it wasn't quite anymore this special kind of thing between me and them. I think this is what God is saying here. He said, I want your devotion to be between me and you. I want, it's, not, it's not that you've got to be really careful that no one ever catches you singing. Or really careful that no one ever catches you, like, you know, giving into the offering. Or I know people who've taken that verse to the extreme and it's kind of like, you know, don't try and give my offering behind my back. Don't let my right hand see what my left hand is doing. Um, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. But he's really getting at the heart because your devotion is supposed to be something really beautiful and precious and intimate between you and God. And yes, okay, sometimes people might find out about um, what you've done. I mean, if you fast for a long time, you'll probably lose some weight. Um, but, but the point Jesus is making is doing your best. Don't go around looking like, oh, you know, somebody ask me why I'm feeling so weak. <laughs> I hope somebody notices. If I'm going to put myself through this hunger for all six hours, then I really hope someone tells me how great. Because, you know, when we do it for others, what we're actually saying indirectly is that God's approval and God's reward is not enough for us. What we're saying is that I need you to notice because you'll affirm me. And you'll encourage me and you'll tell me how great I am. And I'll feel better because you'll think I'm really holy because I was praying or I was fasting or I was giving vast amounts of money away to the poor. And that, that takes it away from being between me and Jesus. It takes it away from something beautiful that I did just for him. And that's what God loves. He absolutely loves your intimate devotion towards him. The authenticity of your longing for him, of your love for him, of you expressing your heart towards him, how you want to be with him and you want to be in his presence. And yes, there's something beautiful and valuable about when we come together and we worship together and we encourage each other. And sometimes we get caught up in that. It encourages us. We feel God's presence together. But ultimately, it's always about the state of your heart before God. You can read about the hypocrites in Matthew um, 23, um, the kind of people that do things for, for show, that they want the best seats, they want people to notice them, they want their titles. In fact, in that passage, Jesus says, um, don't let anybody call you father, don't let anybody call you teacher. Um, he says, don't, don't be using titles, don't be trying to elevate yourself, don't be trying to um, seem more important or more holy or you've got a better position or you've made it further than anyone else. This is about you and your relationship with Jesus. He loves it when you are motivated first and foremost by your love for him. And God is ready to reward your devotion.
There is no, nothing to feel awkward about in that. God wants to reward your devotion. It might not look like a Mercedes-Benz right now. It might not look like a new watch or a new house or a holiday. But he will reward your devotion to him. So let's just look at that interjection about prayer in Matthew 6, 7 to 13. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for, their father, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. You know, the, the pagan gods were notoriously kind of unreliable. Um, they're a bit moody when you read about it, really. And, and so people would go into great long prayers, um, you know, with lots of caveats and buttering up, if you like, the gods that they were praying to. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to be like that with your father, because your father is good, and he's faithful. You don't have to be scared. He's not suddenly going to change or do something out of character. He's always true to himself. He's always good, and he's always faithful. You don't have to make impressive, long, showy prayers. You can talk to him plain and simple. You can be honest with him. You can use your own words, and you can tell him how it is. You can say things simply and succinctly. And remember, when you pray, you're not telling God anything that he doesn't already know. Sometimes we need to tell him stuff. It's okay to say, well, you know, God, I was walking down the street the other day, and this, that's okay, you can talk to God. If that's how you talk to God, that's fine. He doesn't mind, but he does already know. And when we talk, because sometimes the, when we talk to God, it's, a, it's a much about us and what's going on inside of us as, as what we're saying to him. But when we talk to God, he knows. You don't have to kind of like convince him. He knows your needs even before you come to him. So there's so much meaning and purpose in coming to God and unburdening your heart to God and sharing your needs with God. But it's not like you're trying to convince him. Your father is inviting you into his presence to express your heart to him. And we can divide this kind of model prayer that Jesus gives into two main parts. There's a vertical part and there's a horizontal part. A vertical part focusing on God and who he is and a horizontal part focusing on our relationship with others. And this reminds us, doesn't it, of that great command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That loving God, this devotion to God, it's all between you and him, but actually, it's always going to look like loving other people too. And so we start with our relationship with God, our Father. Just amazing, so much truth. Preach a whole message on that, those two words alone. Our Father. Our Father. You're not coming to some moody, temperamental, hit-and-miss kind of God. You're coming to a father who loves you. Now, I know some of us sometimes might have had bad experiences of fathering. But God is the perfect definition of fathering. He's always faithful. He's always just. He's loving. He's kind. He gives us boundaries. But you could not get a more loving father than our father God. Totally reliable, totally dependable. Our Father, hallowed be your name. You know that word hallowed? Um, it means um, 
it comes from a Greek word, um, the New Testament is written in Greek, that means to honor, to sanctify, to set apart, and to treat with the highest respect. So we're saying, hallowed be your name. Lord, I'm praying to you, I want your name to be honored. I want your name to be set apart. I want your name to be treated with the highest respect. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I want everything to be the way you want it to be. That's where it all starts. That's where it all begins. It's all about you. It's my relationship with you. And I want your rule and reign to be established in the earth. For your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what my whole life is going to be about. Do you know, whether or not you recite this prayer on a daily basis, it's actually a great prayer to keep coming back to, isn't it? Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we start with him. It is all ultimately about you, God. You are our father, and we want you to receive all glory and honor. And we want everything to be submitted to you. We want your rule to be established in the earth. But then we start to think about our needs. But it's just that. It's our needs. It's not my needs. Give me today my daily bread. But give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us as we have forgiven others. There's immediately a sense of community about this prayer. So this is coming, remember, in the midst of a passage that's all about it being about you and God. It's between you and him. It's not about putting on a show for others. It's all about the authenticity of your heart before God. But immediately, Jesus in this prayer widens that to, that's all going on in the context of a community. That we don't relate to, we do relate to him as an individual, but we don't just relate to him as an individual because we're part of the people of God, his kingdom, community of his people. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So provide for our needs together as your people. Help us to forgive one another as we have forgiven others. And keep us from evil. Praying for us together as a community of God's people. Because in loving God and wanting to live right with him and follow him faithfully, we understand that that has to involve how we live together as the community of God's people. Jesus reminds us once again that loving God looks like loving others. So much so that Jesus warns us in verses 14 and 15. Verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You know, unforgiveness causes so much brokenness and pain in our lives. And Jesus is very clear here. This is what I'm talking about with this Sermon on the Mount. There's such hard-hitting stuff in here. He says, if you don't forgive others, then you're not going to be forgiven. That's pretty powerful. Of course, we know, don't we, that love begins in God. Forgiveness begins in God. I can only forgive others. I can only love others because he loved me first. He's forgiven me. But it's also true, if you think about it, that Jesus says, but... But if you're in unforgiveness, then you've not really experienced the fullness of his forgiveness. 
If you don't love others, then you've not really experienced the fullness of his love in your life. Because if you've really encountered his love, if you really know what it is to be loved by him and to be forgiven by him, then you will forgive others in your life as well. It's all about your relationship with God. This whole passage is about that. But your relationship with God will always impact your relationship with others. And that really brings us back to our theme for this year. If you remember at the start of the year, we said we really believe that 2023, for us as a community, is going to be a year of greater connection. Greater connection with God, greater connection with each other, and greater connection with the world around us. It all starts with that connection with God. The nature of your connection with each other and the nature of your connection with the world around you all starts with your connection with God. And we're going to just close our time by worshipping again together uh, today. So if the worship band want to come back, and if you want to stand to your feet.